Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that we remember that day when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, coming in to celebrate the Passover feast, the celebration of God's people remembering that God had delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. Little did he know, little, well, he did know he was all God, but little did his followers know, or the people of Jerusalem, that there'd be a huge contrast in his entry into Jerusalem that day on Palm Sunday and what would happen just a few days later. He was ushered in with the shouts of Hosanna, a cry from the people acknowledging that this was the one who was going to save them. And just a few days later, they shouted with those same voices, crucify him, crucify him. A group of people who had gathered palm branches and laid their cloaks down as royalty would come in to the city of Jerusalem, just a few days later, would rise up and be the ones that condemned him to death, charged him with false accusations, put him through a phony trial, and hung him on a cross. He came into Jerusalem the way that the sacrificial lamb did at Passover every year. Perfect and holy. Yet just a few days later, the sins of the world would be on his shoulders. And the anguish that Jesus felt on that Good Friday, the pain and suffering that he went through just a few days from now, began after the Passover meal, the meal in the upper room with his closest followers, his disciples. As they concluded that meal, he'd have this desire, this desperate desire to go be with the Father. And he went to a place where he often had gone at the base of the Mount Olives, base of Mount Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. He would often be there in the Garden of Gethsemane meeting with his Father. He would often be found there praying, crying out to God, his Father, for his kingdom come and his will to be done. And so there he retreated from the upper room into the Garden of Gethsemane with some of his followers. And all the Gospels have the history of what happened over the next few hours there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And today we're going to be looking at two of those four. One is in Mark and the other is in Luke. Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. As I read this morning, you can follow along on the screens. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Mark chapter 14 as we're going to be here today. Verse 32, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all these things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. 
And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, great friends. And they, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going and see. My betrayer is at hand. And I love Mark's description of the agonizing few hours there in the Garden of Gethsemane because it's a bit poetic. It's a beautiful, um, beautifully written um, so that we can understand the, the depth of the pain that Jesus went through. But Luke, who is a doctor, put in more graphic terms, more specific terms, more detailed terms. Let's read Luke 22, 41 through 46. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And when you take all four Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you get the full picture of what happened in Gethsemane. But it was nothing short of agony that Jesus was going through at that time. This was nothing short of the beginning of the suffering that, that would continue there on the cross, that would continue as he was arrested just hours later, as, as he was taken and, and put on trial in a phony way and, and, and beaten and whipped and tortured. The agony that he faced on the cross began there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, it's interesting the story of Jesus being in Gethsemane. It's not something that we often focus on. Uh, but I don't know about you, um, th there have been times that I've been in agony, and then I think about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there have been times, well, I don't know about you, but I've been in such, uh, um, such agony or, or suffering, maybe not physically, but emotionally over a specific thing or a need or someone in my life, and, and, and it's just been such trauma. And I remember there have been times when I was so upset, particularly during the death of my mother, where, where I just, you know, it, I, I was sweating. But Jesus, I want you to hear this, he sweat drops of blood. That's how intense his suffering was. I'm reminded of Isaiah, which speaks of this coming Savior, the Messiah, in terms of he was a man of sorrow, a man of grief. There it is right there, right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He began to grieve. He began to grieve. That Garden of Gethsemane, I, I, I hate it that I've never been there. Some of you probably have been there, and you've been to the base of the Mount of Olives, and you've seen this Garden of Gethsemane, and you've gone to the church that's, that's located right there at the base of the garden and the base of Mount Olives. 
and the pictures of it would be something like you might see in Northern California where olive trees are everywhere. And in that garden, there were trees, olive trees all over the place. And it's interesting because in the midst of the garden are several still standing, some of them, these giant stone presses. And those who were farmers and gardeners would take the olives and they'd put them in the press and they would press them and the result was what? Oil, olive oil. Gethsemane, the word in the original language, you know what it means? It means press. It means press. You see, this was a place where Jesus would go and he would probably get on his knees on a regular basis under one of those olive trees or maybe a few of those olive trees at different times. And he would ask for God the Father to intervene, exceeding on behalf of his disciples, still today interceding on our behalf. And he would go there and he would be pressed spiritually, but nothing compared to this night. Nothing compared to that Thursday night into Friday morning when he was there in Gethsemane and being all God yet all man, understanding what was coming and having, uh, uh, being in anguish about what he knew because he was all God that the physical man would have to face. Some scholars believe this was his last temptation where his desire was, Father, let this pass from me. But he stood steadfast, didn't he? He stood steadfast for you. And he stood steadfast for me. He stood steadfast because he knew he was on a mission from God the Father. He was on mission, on a mission that could not be stopped. And he recognized the pain. And that's why he sweat drops of blood. But he remained faithful to God's calling. He remained faithful to the Father's orders. That he was to be that sacrificial lamb that had come into Jerusalem on a donkey like the lamb would come. How did he do it? How did Jesus remain steadfast? I think there's five lessons for us to learn as we close this series here on Palm Sunday on what it means to remain steadfast. Steadfast in the midst of suffering, steadfast in the midst of your greatest pain, I want you to realize something this morning. The Savior of the world, God's own Son, part of the Trinity himself, the very nature of, of God himself, walked through a series of things that helped him to remain steadfast to the mission that he was on. If Jesus himself walked through these things, so much more you and I need to walk through these things. Am I right? This was the very son of God. And in his anguish, in his darkest moment, in his greatest time of suffering, knowing what was to come, he cried out to his father for help. If the son of God needed help, so we should cry out to him for help. How do we remain steadfast when life is too much, when the suffering is too great? The first thing that Jesus did, and I think we can learn from this, is engage friends in our struggle. 
Now, some of you, after I've read that, are like, these were not friends. They fell asleep in the middle of his prayer, in the middle of his greatest anguish. We're talking about prayer and our student ministry in the well, and I shared the story this last week of a men's retreat that I went on. This was years ago back at our church in Atlanta, and I probably have told the story. Some of you probably heard it, that um, most of us left Atlanta and drove about an hour and a half north to Berry College on a Friday night after working most of us all day, and we gathered there at Berry College, and we walked into the chapel at uh, about uh, 10 o'clock that night, and the leader of this men's retreat said, well, for the next two hours, we're going to spread out in this stone chapel. It was built of stone, and he said, spread out all over the place, and for the next two hours, we're going to pray, and we were like, what? I don't know about you. I've just worked a long day. I, I'd, I'd want to pray in my, you know, in my dorm in a bed where I can actually, you know, fall asleep. And so all the men spread out there, and we began to pray. And after about five minutes, you heard the loud rumbling sound that bounced all over the marble chapel of what? Snoring. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I was reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. You know, he engaged his friends, he engaged people in his struggle. How many times are we like Lone Ranger? We try to go at it by ourselves. We go through the midst of a financial crisis and we never talk to someone about it. We go through the midst of a physical condition that a doctor just told us about or someone that we love just found out about and we never seek help from someone else. We go through an emotional pain that is so incredibly deep and we never consult with a friend. Jesus, in verses 32 and 33, says, they went to a place. They went to a place called Gethsemane. He took his disciples with him. He took Peter and James and John, three of his closest disciples, and He was greatly distressed and troubled. He called on his friends. And listen, when you're in the midst of your greatest pain and suffering, whether it's right now or whether it's next week or whether it's in the months or years to come, remember to bring your friends with you. I got thinking about the fact that Jesus' friends, yeah, they fell asleep. But I wonder if he thought, you know, sleeping friends are better than no friends at all. If you're here and you're part of Hilton Head Island Community Church and you're trying to do this life alone, it's going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be an uphill battle. If you're here and and you're like, man, I I don't know anybody here, you got to get in a group. You got to find a group of people. We've got groups that meet all throughout the week. Chris McBride is our groups director. She's done an amazing job of starting new groups. And, and, and you've got to get in a group. If you don't have a group, every Wednesday we're here. They meet here for Roots. They go a little bit deeper in the study of what we studied on Sunday morning. We all need people to be on the journey of suffering. Even Jesus brought his closest friends But then at some point in time in the night, he said, you know, they've been sleeping way too much. I got to get alone with God. And that's the second thing that he did. He resolved to be alone with the Father. The Son of God, I want you to hear this, the Son of God needed communion with his friends, but he desperately needed communion with his Father, Abba, Daddy. That's what that word means, Daddy. You can't find a more intimate, close phrase 
for father than Abba. And he cries out, Abba. And going a little further, it says in verse 35, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Have you ever had something coming up like tomorrow or next week or in a month and you begin to get nervous about it? You know you have that doctor's appointment or you know you have that meeting with your boss or um, students with with a teacher um, and you know or an advisor and you know that this is not going to go well. Uh, You you know that it's going to be a difficult meeting and the closer you get to that meeting, you don't get more excited about it, do you? You begin to worry about it. It begins to rise up in you. This is looming. It's coming. It's here. And as Jesus got closer to the time that he knew was coming, he needed to be alone with his Father. Listen, the Son of God's source of spiritual strength was his Father. If he needed it, I need it. If he needed it, we all need it. Richard Foster, in Celebration of Discipline, talks about disciplines that we need to have in our lives that are not corporate, that are not with other people. He talks about solitude, getting alone, having silence, being quiet before God. And if Jesus needed it, we need it in the midst of remaining steadfast in our suffering, in our anguish. The third thing that he did was even Jesus fell on the ground before God. Even Jesus, the one that was going to die for our sins within a few hours, humbled himself before God. Church, I can't tell you what happens when we humble ourselves spiritually before the Father. I can't tell you the power that comes when we use the name of Jesus as we just sang, as we just worshiped, but also as we get on our knees, if we're able to do so, and humble ourselves before God. When we get on our knees and when we humble ourselves before the Father, it puts us in a place of recognizing physically and spiritually and in every way that He is sovereign and we're not, that He is in control, that we're not. It puts us in a position of appealing to Him as a son or daughter would a father himself to take care of every need that we have. And Jesus, God's own Son, humbly took the position of humility when he went a little bit further and he fell on the ground and he prayed. And the fourth thing that he did is he went back in verse 39 of Mark 14. It says, and again, he went away and he prayed saying the same words. I love these two things here because it shows that even Jesus humbled himself before God the Father and that even Jesus felt like he needed to pray again and again for that thing that he desired, for the cup to pass. That was his desire. Even he, even he was one who came and prayed again and again. My good friend Frank Condor who many of you know, he was an important part of Hilton Head Island Community Church from day one. He passed away um, this past December. He was our first, first guy who came from Low Country Community Church to help us start this church, and he was a prayer warrior. And I remember coming to Frank a few times throughout the years and saying, man, um, I need you to 
pray about this thing that's just really, you know, it's really got me down. It's really burdened me. And he would say, well, have you prayed about it? <laughs> that's a good prayer warrior. <laughs> and I'd say, well, yeah, I've prayed about it. And he says, pray again. And he goes, when you're done with that, you know what you do? Pray again. And then I caught on. It took me three times to catch on. I'm like, you pray again. And he said, you know what you do after that? You pray again. And you pray again. And you pray again. And you pray again. And it's not because we don't believe that God can't come through. But as one scholar put it, man, we leave a lot of angels unemployed. Did you notice in the passage that we read from Luke, an angel visited Jesus and gave him strength. We pray again because we join in in the great sovereign work that God is doing when we get on our knees and when we appeal to him. And then the last thing is, is that even Jesus aligned his request from Uh, with God's will. In verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Do you know what that means? That means that he didn't want to go through the pain and suffering that he knew he was about ready to go through. Who would? Remember, he was all God, but remember, he was also all man. He understood what it was to be crucified, and he knew what was coming. And so he asked for God to remove the cup, that last temptation that Jesus would face, kind of a, a, kind of a throwback or a reflection or a, um, you know, aftershadowing of what had happened in the desert with the temptations that the evil one brought to him. But then what's the last thing that he prayed? Yeah, not what I will, but what you will. I remember when I learned to pray that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he gave the disciples the instructions on the Lord's Prayer. I learned how to pray that prayer during my mom's death. I learned how to pray what I wanted plus what God's want, God wants during my mom's death. Because what I wanted is for her to be on this earth another 30 years. And I prayed for her healing, but what God desired is for her to have ultimate healing. And I'm so glad that he's in charge, and I'm not. Because he knows better what to pray than we do. He knows better what to pray even than we do. Listen, I want you to hear this, that in the midst of your worst suffering, be reminded of Jesus' victory in remaining steadfast through his unimaginable suffering. He went through this unimaginable suffering that began in the garden. Do you realize that sin began in the Garden of Eden? And right there, he began to suffer as he dropped sweat drops of blood. Right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the beginning of the forgiveness of sin happened. The suffering began before the arrest, before the trial, before his crucifixion. It began there when he was in the midst of his greatest agony, knowing what was coming. Listen, I want you to hear, church, I want you to hear wherever you are today that he's been where you are. He understands where you are. And he's ready to see you through where you are so that you can remain steadfast to him. Father, I thank you so much that the story of this Garden of Gethsemane isn't a removed story that we can't understand or connect with. 
but God in so many ways. The one that the prophet would say would be someone who is acquainted with grief. The suffering servant truly began his suffering there in the place, in the very place that was called the, the place of press or the place of pressing. And God, I know that there are some who are here today and they probably feel like an olive. <laughs> and they feel like the life of a stone has been pressed up against them and they feel like they can't even bear it anymore. And God, I'm thankful that you understand that. And right now, I want to pray for everyone who's in this room, God, who may be suffering with some kind of physical or emotional or relational or spiritual suffering. They may be in agony right now. God, maybe they've never even expressed that to anyone. God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the ability to go to someone, to engage with friends, to engage with people who love them to talk to someone who may better understand what they're going through. God, I pray for those who are going through health crisis right now. God, who may be getting difficult news, who may have already gotten difficult news, who has a loved one who's going through a difficult circumstance with their health. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that as they're pressed, God, I pray that they would do what you did. God, that they would follow that pattern, that they would pray that same prayer that they would get on their knees and appeal to you. And God, I pray for those who walked in here today and their place of press is financial or maybe a relationship or maybe, God, it's just a spiritual stronghold that's in their life. God, maybe it's something that they've allowed into their life years ago and it just has taken root and it won't let go. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would release them from whatever that stronghold is spiritually that's keeping them from you. God, perhaps it's someone who's here and they haven't um, yet put their faith in you. Maybe today is the day that you want to give up what you thought you believed and you want to put your faith in Jesus. God's word says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose again from the dead, it says that you will be saved, certain. If you're here today and you um, just like, Todd, man, my place of suffering has to do with I have not known what was going to happen when I die. But yeah, this Jesus thing is starting to make a lot more sense to me. And I feel right now like God is leading me to a place where I want to believe, I want to receive him as my savior. If you want to do that right now, I want to encourage you to pray a short prayer. I'm going to pray. I'll pray it out loud. You can just pray it silently to God where you sit. Nobody's watching. Nobody's listening. You can just talk to God right now. He hears you. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for making me. <laughs> thank you for sending your son to die on the cross, to go through the agony and suffering that he went through. But thank you, God, that a week from today we will celebrate your resurrection. And thank you that I can have life in heaven because of Jesus. And right now, I confess that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. And right now, I accept, I receive you, Jesus, to be my Savior. 
If you prayed that prayer, just in the quietness of this room, would you just look up at me if you prayed that prayer silently? Just raise your hand just a little bit so I can pray for you. I promise I won't embarrass you. If you prayed that prayer, just put your hand up for a moment this morning. Awesome. Anyone else this morning? Pray that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to fill out that card down there at the bottom of that worship folder that you received. And if you're here today and you've got an issue that you're suffering with, I want to encourage you to seek help. I want to encourage you to get on your knees and ask God for help to seek someone who can walk through that with you so that you can remain steadfast as well. God, we give you the rest of this morning. God, we give you this very week, God, as we focus on this holy week, this week that you sacrificed yourself, that we remember that time that you sacrificed yourself for us. And we give you all the praise and glory for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.